One of the reasons we've been in the book of First Thessalonians is because of its emphasis on the theme of hope, of hope. And I think here in 2021, we could all use a reminder of our hope. Um, now, when we say hope, of course, hope is just a term. Hope in what? Uh, we might hope in silly things. We might hope in something that's a one in a million, one in a billion chance, like trying to win the Powerball. Um, we might hope in something that eh, may happen, it may not. Maybe you hope the Bucks beat the Saints or the Saints beat the Bucks this afternoon or whatever your preference is there in the NFL. But when we talk about the Christian hope, it's something different. It doesn't mean it's a sort of doubtful, I hope so, um, mentality. It means a waiting an eager anticipation, expectancy that something is going to happen. And more than that, it's, it's something that shapes our present. Hope has a future focus, but it shapes how we live right here today. If your great hope in life is to become a professional dancer, let's say ballet, right? That means you're going to start practicing now, right now, to try to work towards that hope. If your hope is to become a medical doctor, you're going to start going to school and studying now. If your hope is to be a missionary, that may mean language studies. If your hope is to be a mom, and let's say you're pregnant, then you're going to hopefully prepare for that day in which this child enters the world, which is why one of the reasons why, of course, we support the pregnancy care center to help single moms in particular, but moms in general who are expecting to be ready for that day of seeing this child enter into this world. But what is the overall Christian hope? What is the overall Christian hope and how does it affect how we live today? That's what we're going to look at today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 to 18. Take hope and be encouraged because Jesus is coming back. Chapter 4, verse 13, we read these words. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord In the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. So, where are we going with this passage? As you can imagine, this is a a passage that is often used to describe what's the Christian hope? Where are we headed? First, have hope in your grief, verse 13. Then we're going to look at believe Jesus is coming, 14 to 17, which describes his coming. And then verse 18, that final uh, word, which is to encourage one another. But he starts off by talking about grief. He addresses grief. Um, There's a background here. 
some, there's some confusion happening in this church in Thessalonica. Remember, they're a relatively new church, but they've been around long enough to experience some deaths as a church. It doesn't usually take too long to experience some deaths, right, in a church. Um, and so they're confused. What happens to those who died before Jesus came back? Um, where are they? Now, it could be that they believe that they sort of go into oblivion, uh, which is a total misunderstanding of the Christian faith. Probably not. That seems a little too far-fetched. Maybe they believed that they sort of come back later. So those who are alive get a special priority, but then the dead in Christ already have to wait until a little bit longer, or maybe they're sort of second-tier type Christians. Or You can see what's going on here. They're uninformed. That's what Paul says here. I don't want you to be uninformed. It's not an issue of, of sin, it's an issue of misunderstanding, of ignorance, of lack of, of a grasp. We have 2,000 years of history. We kind of have a, a sense of the full Christian faith. They're relatively new. And he says specifically, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep. Asleep was a common way to describe death, both in the pagan world, the Gentile, non-Christian world, as well as in the Christian faith from the earliest days. How early? Jesus. <laughs> So we'll go as early as possible. Jesus said about Jairus' daughter, she is not dead, she is only sleeping. He said about Lazarus, he's sleeping. And his disciples say, well, if he's sleeping, Jesus, then he'll get better. And Jesus says, I'm telling you, he's dead. <laughs> so he has to clarify, he's using sleep as a metaphor for death. Now why, is, why would, again, I don't want to make too much of this because sleep was a common way to describe death, even outside of the Christian faith. But why would the Christian faith so willingly adopt that? Because sleep is temporary. <laughs> when you're sleeping, you eventually wake up. He doesn't say they cease to exist. They no longer are around for all eternity. No, they're sleeping, and the day will come in which they awake. Now, does that mean that they spiritually are sort of sleeping? No, we'll look at that in just a bit. Um, but the effect of these Thessalonian Christians' misunderstanding is grief. They're worried. They're saddened by those who have already died. And what Paul says here is you, you don't have to grieve as those who have no hope. For, for Christians, there is hope when we think about those who have died in the Lord. And this is a real helpful word when it comes to grieving. Um, first of all, we as a church, we have experienced a lot of grief in this last year, meaning 2020. I was just looking back. These are the members of the church that we lost in 2020. Connie Kahigian, Al Seavey, Millie Woodworth, uh, Bob Graham, Nick Tuckalow, Vivian Randall, and as of most recently, Chris Havens. And that's just the members of our church. So many of us have lost people whom we know who are not members of the church, but people that we care about and love dearly. But I want to notice something. Notice how careful he is in his language. He's not saying that we don't grieve. He says you don't grieve as those who have no hope. So there's a different type of grief that he's saying we don't have to have, but there is a type of grief that we do have. And the type of grief that we don't have are for those who don't know Christ. That's, that's the, there's a grief for those who don't know the Lord. And friends, I'll tell you, as a pastor who's done a lot of funerals, you can see this in practice when somebody who dies not in the Lord, there is a certain sort of sadness and a recognition that we don't really know what happens next. 
It's very different than doing a Christian funeral for someone who knows the Lord's. They're in the hands of God and we leave them to his judgment. And there is a grief about not only what we have lost, but what that person has left in expectation. But he says for those who are Christians, there's a type of grief for those who know Christ. And that is a grief for only our loss. (laughs) I mean, think about the difference here. We are grieving not for the person who dies lost. It's their gain. They are no longer in pain. They are no longer suffering. They are no longer full of worry. They are awaiting the great day of expectation, the great day uh, of the resurrection, eagerly and expectantly, but from the other side of heaven in the very presence of the Lord. What a difference that makes when it comes to grief. The grief then is only on our side. It's what has been taken from us, what we have lost from this world. Huge, major difference. Matthew Henry said, grief for the death of friends is lawful. We may weep for our own loss, though it may be their gain. There is a type of grief, but it's a grief that recognizes that our loved ones are with the Lord. Friends, let's make sure that our grief has hope. Just as a reminder, for those who die in the Lord, where are they? They are with the Lord. They are enjoying his presence. They are free of sin and temptation. Think about that. No more even a temptation to look away from God and to turn away from him. They are free of suffering, whether that's physical or emotional or mental or relational suffering. They are not sitting in heaven worried about us, biting their spiritual fingernails. They are resting and enjoying the Lord in peace. And friends, they are waiting for us to join them in glory. As all who have come before us have done, as all who come after us will do, and as we will do until the Lord returns. What about those not in the Lord? Friends, let this be a a motivation for us to share the gospel better. If there is a hope in the grief of those who know the Lord, then the opposite is a hopelessness for those who don't. Let that motivate us to say, I gotta share the good news better. I gotta be more bold and more clear and more loving. I gotta be more widely in sharing this good news to make sure people hear it. You can't force anyone to believe, nor would you want to. But you can provide them with the message that saves. And I would just say one more thing about this before we move on, and that is, Let's grieve those who are lost. Again, uh, the idea is not that there's no grief. Sometimes you hear someone say, when I die, some Christian, I want you to have a big celebration. I want you to have a party and sort of dance around and sing. And it's probably unrealistic, to be honest. (laughs) There are stages of grief, and we grieve what's been taken from us. Those in Thessalonica who know the Lord have lost loved ones, and their life is changed And it now hurts. And that there's a process to that whole thing. But we don't grieve those who are now with the Lord. Which makes a world of a difference when it comes to grief. He goes into what happens then with those who are the Lord. What are they doing? They're getting ready to return. Look at verses 14 through 17. Believe Jesus is coming. Have hope in your grief because we believe that Jesus is coming. Uh, What is this hope? That Jesus, first of all, he says, died and rose again. Why is that important? Because Jesus is the first fruits. 
He's the, the parable. He's the, he's the one who shows us what's to happen. Yes, we will die, even as Jesus died. But yes, we will rise again, even as Jesus rose again. Rose again, not into a corruptible, temporary, mortal body, but rose again in a resurrected spiritual body that was to never die again. So he says, even so, all those who have fallen asleep. The day of the resurrection is coming for them, even as it already has already come for Jesus as the first fruits, even as it will come for us. And as he says here, God will bring them. So use your minds here. Where are they right now? They're with the Lord. If God is bringing them with him, they're not dead and sleeping in the ground. So some parts of the Christian faith have taught soul sleep, that basically when you die, your soul sleeps along with your body. And for you, it feels like an instant you wake up and it's the end and the final day of the resurrection. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. And actually, it's not even that hard, I don't think, to prove that. Uh, The thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Apart from the body is present with the Lord. Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration are clearly alive before the final resurrection. The martyrs under the altar in Revelation crying out for that final day. There's clearly a spiritual living that goes on before this final day. And as it tells us here, They're with the Lord, awaiting this final day of the resurrection. And he says, understand that God will bring those who are with him um, and will be together with those who are alive. And notice he says we. We who are still alive. Now, he could be using we in a very broad, corporate sense of the church. Any who are part of the church, whenever Jesus returns, who are still alive. But you say, well, we, sounds like Paul puts himself in the mix there. And then the debate happens. Did Paul think that the resurrection, that the coming of Jesus would come back in his own lifetime? I would say he sort of lives with a hope and expectation that it would be in his lifetime, but a recognition that it might not be. And in some ways, isn't that a good model for us? We should sort of have that same sense. Maybe it'll be within my life (laughs) that Jesus comes back. If it's not, that's okay. Die, be with the Lord, and await the resurrection to come. But maybe I'll be part of that we here in the end. And he says that we will not precede those who have fallen asleep. It'll all be, in a sense, together. He says the Lord will descend. Remember when Jesus was ascended in the very beginning of the book of Acts? Uh, he's taken up into the clouds, specifically mentions, and then The disciples are there staring into the sky. Two men, angels, come over and say, why are you sitting there staring in the sky? Get to work, basically. Jesus is coming back in the same way in which he left. So here's the the description of the return of Christ in the clouds. Three things sort of mark out his return, and all three of them bring out the, the return of a king. You know, when royalty arrives somewhere, specifically, you announce it, you make a big deal about it. The cry of command. The Lord returns. The voice of an archangel, a herald, goes before them announcing the return. And the sound of trumpets. Again, think of royalty arriving into the city. And the dead in Christ will rise and resurrected body. And we will be caught up. So if you're wondering where that word rapture comes from, it's from this verse right here. Uh, That's actually sort of takes from the Latin Vulgate translation of the Greek. Uh, The word rapture is where we get that from right here, being caught up together in which we will then meet the Lord. And he ends this section by saying, and we will be with him always. 
From that point forward, we are never separated from the Lord Jesus. We're with him forever and ever. You might, you might imagine there are different views <laughs> when it comes to exactly how this is going to work itself out. And uh, I don't want to spend forever on this, but I'll say this. Right here at First Baptist Church, I, I believe that diversity is good. So if there, there are those with different opinions as to different views, perspectives as to how this whole end time sort of return of Christ happens, and I like diversity. So there are some churches who say, no, you've got to believe this one specific way, otherwise you can't be a member of this church, or the other side, you've got to be this way, or another way. There's all different types of views. I don't like that. I like the fact that right here, all in the family, <laughs> we can have uh, open discussion. Uh, so if you want to get a very different perspective, talk to Mitch, and he'll give you a very different perspective than mine. But obviously, since I'm preaching, I'm going to give you my perspective. Um, and that is that Jesus comes back once, and then the judgment. This is referring to a one-time return of Christ. Jesus returns and he judges the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. And that's the end. Um, I'll say lovingly and teasingly, Mitch, that on my side, I do have church history, the majority of the church, the Greek, and the context of the passage. So uh, that's, that's it on my side. Now, I'm, I'm sure Mitch would give you a very different, different uh, uh, explanation of this here. Uh, but here's what I would say. Uh, obviously, we all agree that Christ is returning. That's the main thing, even if there are differences of opinions on this. Um, but the Lord returns, as we see here, on the clouds, the same way in which he was taken from us. And we meet him as he returns to earth. That's what I'm saying. That's sort of my understanding of what's going on here. We in Christ and the dead in Christ are raised. We meet the Lord in the air, and then we get to arrive together with him upon his return. Let me explain why that matters, why that, where that comes from. So the Greek word used here is apentesis. Um, I don't like to pull up the Greek too often, but in this case, it's kind of important. And it's not a common word for the word to meet. It's actually kind of a rare word. It's only used two other times in all of the Bible. And in both times, it means to meet someone as they're arriving into a city, arriving somewhere. Matthew 25, in a parable, but at midnight there was a cry here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. They're meeting him as he arrives back into the city. The other is Acts 28, 15. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. Paul and his missionary team are coming. They go out to meet him and bring him back into the city. In fact, it seems like that's what the very word apentesis actually means. This is the ESV study Bible, to meet. The Greek term often describes the reception given by the inhabitants of a city or for an important visitor. They celebrated their honored guest's arrival, then led him into the city. The NIV Zondervan study Bible, meet, refers to a delegation party meeting an arriving dignitary outside of town to bestow honor on that visitor by escorting him back to their city. Paul's word choice therefore implies that the church, once it has been raptured to Christ in the air, escorts him to earth. The Tyndale New Testament commentary series, Leon Morris, the expression translated to meet is a kind of technical term for the official welcome of a newly arrived dignitary. The Lord proceeds to earth with his people. And again, if you're sitting here and say, Pastor Rick, that's not what I've learned. I don't agree with you. 
That's okay. I love you no matter what. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Ultimately, we all agree that there are no second chances. We receive the Lord. Christians together are hopeful that when, when the Lord returns, we will be with him always. Friends, here's my encouragement. Know he's coming. Know that he's coming. I would say study. This is called eschatology. You know, what's, what's to come here in the end? Study it. Don't, don't shy away from it because it's hard. Actually, there's a spiritual benefit of just focusing your mind and your heart and your attention on what's to come, even if you come to different places. If you disagree, we're, again, we're united uh, with what is essential. And our statement of faith intentionally leaves it vague to say, we believe in the bodily return of Jesus. We'll leave it there. If you leave this a come for the church, seven years of tribulation, and then he comes back again, and then a thousand years of millennial kingdom, and then he comes back again, and all that uh, is all within the family, a discussion that we can have together. But friends, you know, people would say, particularly if you're not a believer, Rich, do you really believe this? You believe Jesus is going to bodily come down from the sky in the clouds, and people who have been dead for thousands of years are going to come back to life with a new body. And they're going to float up into the sky and meet him. And then this whole billion people are going to come back down to earth. Do you really believe this? Yes, 100%. <laughs> I really believe this with all my heart. Uh, I believe this is why we exist. I believe that all of history is moving forward to this Day. I believe that the reason the Bible is here and has impacted the entire world and Western civilization and now spread throughout new continents, I believe this is the reason why lives are changed, that all of it is heading to this glorious day. And yes, 100%, I fully believe this day is coming. So why does this exist, verse 18? And why this passage, verse 18, encourage one another? It's meant for our encouragement. One last verse, but it's a loaded verse right here in the end. Therefore, uh, when you see a therefore, you see what it's there for, right? What's the point of this teaching? Why are we studying it? Encourage one another. Uh, English, the English word encourage literally means to put courage into. Uh, put, put confidence into us that we can keep going. Uh, it also has the sort of meaning in the Greek of, of comfort each other. With this. This is good to meditate on, consider, and reflect on. Encourage one another with these words, meaning, of course, this whole section that he's talking about here, the return of Christ, but really the whole understanding, the whole Christian hope is good for us to consider these words, to return to them often. I think, of course, these words could refer to the whole Bible in one sense. Uh, the letters that were received by the church, like Thessalonians, kept and reread and passed on to churches for 2,000 years to keep us focused and hopeful of what is to be. Now, why does this hope matter? Uh, sometimes I hear this. It's a waste of time to study this stuff. <laughs> it's not important. It only divides. It's not worth talking about. There are more essential things to be dealing with. Well, if we do that, we miss why it exists. It exists to encourage us not meant for us to fight about or speculate or cause endless debates. And yes, it has divided the church. Presbyterians believe one thing about all this. and the, say Calvary Chapel maybe on the other. Baptists have been divided. Historically, they believed one thing. 
Today, it's more divided. But friends, what an encouragement it is to know that no matter what happens in 2020 or 2021 or 2050, (laughs) Christ is coming back and we'll be with him. You know, I don't know about you, I can endure almost anything for, for a time if I know that it ends well, like the outcome will go well. So I like to go to the gym and work out and, you know, some people say it's like self-torture, right? Why do you go to the gym? Because there's a benefit to it. Good, feeling healthy at the end of the day feels great, right? So I'll endure whatever it takes uh, to run, do cardio, do weights, whatever, if at the end of the day I get that feeling of feeling healthy and strong. Somebody who's going through treatment, maybe for cancer, chemo, radiation, they'll endure whatever it takes if the hopeful outcome is to defeat cancer and to keep going. We can endure something if the hope on the other end is good. Well, friends, as Christians, we know how it ends. And that encourages us to keep fighting today and be faithful. So let's encourage one another. First of all, be encouraged. So I'm going to do that right now and try to encourage you. Be encouraged. There's no need to be discouraged. There's no need to feel hopeless and full of despair. There's no reason to live in constant fearfulness or worry. It ends well. We know the final chapter. It all works out. As I said, the whole raid on the Capitol, the pandemic statistics, the economic issues that we may be facing. You might be saying there, Rick, how can you not worry about these things? Or how can you not be anxious about these things? Because, as Martin Luther King said, by the way, tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day, only when it's dark enough can you see the stars. When despair in this world grows, it makes the Christian hope all the clearer and brighter to be seen. I would just say this, friends. If you find yourself feeling full of worry and fear, maybe spend less time on Facebook. Less time on cable news. Less time on Netflix. Maybe spend a little more time in the Bible or good books, or good shows on TV. It doesn't have to be that books versus electronic media. There's good stuff out there, too, everywhere. I would encourage you to put yourself in a place of encouragement. Daily prayer, that's why we offer it. Community groups, that's why we started them. That's this minimal risk, but we sort of weighed it and said it's, it's worth even the minimal risk. Again, we take all the precautions we can because we want to keep folks encouraged and faithful to the end, learning and knowing, focusing on the Lord. Continue to make Sundays a priority, even if that's a point where you can only see us online. Friends, put yourself in a place in which you are being encouraged. And then, as he says here, encourage one another. It's our job to do so. Let's remind one another of the Christian hope. Um, Try not to be irritating about it. <laughs> so if somebody's going, a, going through a hard time, I wouldn't say the very first words out of your mouth should be, yeah, but it's all going to turn out well, don't worry. All right? I mean, there's a tactfulness and wisdom about it, but let's encourage each other that in the end, we'll all be with the Lord and his kingdom will have no end. Take hope and be encouraged. Jesus is coming back. 
What do you want to be doing on the day of your death? Or better than that, what do you want to be doing on the day Jesus returns? I want to be loving my family, loving my church, loving my neighbors, sharing the gospel, supporting missions, praying regularly. Or as he says right here, hoping in my grief of those who have gone before, fully confident that this day was coming, encouraged and encouraging. Friends, the Christian faith offers us something that perhaps the world can't offer, a real, true, and lasting hope that shapes how we live today. The late Stephen Hawking, famous physicist, said this, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. What a view. I like John Lennox, another famous sort of Oxford professor, still alive. He said, if Christianity is a fairy tale for people afraid of the dark, maybe atheism is a fairy tale for those afraid of the light. (laughs) But as C.S. Lewis said, If you read history, you'll find that Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. Hopelessness despair Would you pray with me Lord we thank you so much for your word and for the wonderful gift of hope not a hope that is sort of based on a fantasy but a real true hope based on the return of Christ that Christians have been waiting for with eager anticipation since the day Jesus was ascended Lord, please fill us with this hope. Help us to be encouraged. But anyone here who maybe is feeling a little overwhelmed at these times, and that's either because of what's happening in the nation and world, or maybe what's just going on in their own life, help them to be encouraged. It all turns out well in the end. There will be some trials. There will be some hard times. It will take some time. But in the end, we're all with the Lord. And we can pray, Maranatha, Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.